The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. You may be seated. Justin, can we have the choir every week? That was awesome. Isn't that good? Thank you for singing so beautifully and boldly. He's worthy of this, isn't he? Because he lives... We gather and worship Him each Sunday. Because He lives, our sins can be forgiven. And we can be declared righteous in God's sight. Because He lives, we too have the hope of eternal life with no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin and death. This is the core reality and hope of the Christian faith. Jesus said that he would rise from the dead, and history shows that he did. Now, a lot of religions make a lot of claims, but Jesus actually did what he said he would do. And it's everything to us, because he also said that whoever believes in me, though he die. Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is the resurrection. And those who believe in him are promised victory over death. You do want victory, don't you? Victory over death. You do want more than this life has to offer don't you? You do want an end to sin and sorrow and pain and suffering, don't you? The reality of the empty tomb of Jesus' victory over death is the only hope you have for these things. And thinking it's simply an illustration or a, a myth or a legend or some. A spiritual reality instead of an actual physical resurrection, that will not lead to what you want, which is an actual physical resurrection of your own. No, what we want is something tangible, physical. Like Jesus saying to Thomas, touch and see. Put your finger in the nail holes. Put your hand in my side. I'm real. And this real living person is coming again to make all things right. And until then, he invites us to come. He gives us eyes to see. He tells us to go and tell others this good news. This is our focus this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, the commands to come and see and go and tell. So before we open God's word, uh, would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, as we consider the empty tomb, give us eyes to see the significance of Christ's death and his resurrection. Lord, help us to remember this truth next week 
and the weeks after, because this is, this is too big, too important, too, so much central to our faith to only celebrate once a year. And yet what a glorious day this is. May the reality of this day have an impact around the world. As our world grows more and more dark, we pray for the light of Christ's glory to shine. So we thank you for the truth of your word and ask that you would bless it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 28, uh, verses 1 through 15. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples, came, that they came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, we are, we are blessed with so many details in the four Gospels. And in Matthew's account, he even, he even tells us the dishonest explanation of Christ's enemies for why the tomb was empty. Nobody really denied the tomb was empty. And the angel made sure that the women who were there would come and see this reality and then go and tell others. What an incredible experience. Think of, think of these women coming in that early morning. What an amazing experience this must have been. To be confronted by an angel that's described as having an appearance of brightness like lightning that caused soldiers to tremble and faint. 
And yet these women are reassured with the words, do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. There are four imperatives, four commands in verses 6 and 7 that I want to focus on this morning. Four things the angel told these women to do. And as we consider the empty tomb, we too hear the commands to come, see, go, and tell. First, the angel told them to come. Now let's remember the, that the presence of the angel is described like an earthquake. And their appearance... Like lightning. It was so fearful that all of the Roman guards fainted and were unconscious. And before these women came upon the angels, think about the fearful place that they were approaching. It was early in the morning, it was still a bit dark. They're in a graveyard. They might have said to each other, you know, This may not be a good idea after all. There could be grave robbers. It's not safe. How about we come back when it's a little brighter out? And there are more people around. In coming to the empty tomb, they they overcame a lot of fears. A dark graveyard, robbers, a sense that something's not right. Rome... After all, the stone had been sealed by a Roman guard and that seal was broken. The stone had been rolled away. Rome had been defied. It's a crime. And they were on the scene and could have been accused and punished. They could have said, we really shouldn't go any closer. Rome forbids it. Or they could have had a sense of Something holy, something mysterious, that this this is sacred ground. And chills run up and down their spine as they realize how unworthy they are to, to come any closer. And it was holy. And our Sunday worship is holy. And yet, God invites us. He tells us to come. There's a choice to be made. What is it for you? What things do you push past in order to come and see that Jesus is risen? Is it wrong priorities? Not seeing the holy significance of coming together to worship the risen Savior? Is it fear? Fear of the unknown? Fear of being a... Nowadays, fear of being associated with something that our culture sees as, what, less and less and less. You need to come because he lives. Nothing else compares to this. Yes, not even sports. Yeah, it's true. Not even sports compares to this. It's taken me a lot of years to learn that. Okay, I have another confession. It seems like I've been making confessions lately. When I was little, I was a big O.J. Simpson fan. 
Now, for those of you who are younger, he was a football player. You may not have realized this. And back in 1973, he was on the verge of breaking the all-time NFL rushing record. Nobody had ever eclipsed 2,000 yards in a season. It was a, it was a big deal. And to, to understand my conflict of emotions, you have to remember, this was also, this was back in the dark ages, when there was only TV, no record, recording devices, no ESPN to play highlights again and again and again. If you missed it, you missed it. That was the conflict that I had. So in my mind, this was a, a historic Sunday approaching this record. Something like the first man on the moon. And I couldn't believe that my parents insisted that I go to church with them. It's a conflict going on. So we, we all went off to church. Everyone went their way to Sunday school, and I, as an eight-year-old, did the horrible thing of sneaking back home, walking a few miles. Do you remember that? <laughs> because I needed to watch history. It was important. Now, I don't remember what the, pun- I don't remember what the punishment was. And that could say a couple of things. Um... And I certainly didn't know who O.J. would become. But what I can tell you is that this historic event didn't last. The record has been surpassed many times. O.J. turned out to be a terrible person. And this event back in 1973, believe it or not, it did not change my life. But years of coming to church and worshiping Jesus has. I can guarantee you that staying home to watch the Masters or any other event will pale by comparison. Jesus, his death and resurrection is the only truly life-changing event. It's so big that it's worth celebrating every week. It's relevant to every day. Nothing else compares to getting to know the risen Lord. And I'm not talking about some spiritual high, some incredible experience like these women had that Sunday morning. But instead, the the habit of our worship, of hearing God's word that will not return void, doing a work on your heart and mind. It's holy. It's unlike anything this world has to offer. And over time, for the believer, God will change you and make you more and more like Jesus. So Christian, you need to come to church you need to come and be connected to the body of Christ in a, in a tangible way where, you, where you're not only ministered to, but you yourself become the hands and feet of Jesus as you minister to others. And this really becomes more of a, and I get to, instead of some legalistic, I have to. God's command to come and to not 
forsake the assembling of believers is not a guilt trip. It's a blessing. And of course there are times when, when we travel or we, we take a family vacation or you're sick and need to stay home. But what I'm talking about is what's the norm? What do you believe is best for you? If we really believe that Jesus is alive and that he, he knows you and he knows what will lead to your greater joy in life, then shouldn't we come? Now, I'm not really saying this to make anyone feel guilty. Honestly, I'm not. I just want to point out that if this whole resurrection thing is real, and it is, then why would we choose to miss out? Not only this week, but the week after. Developing a habit, a a relationship that will change your life. And all the more as our culture is becoming more and more blatantly evil. You need God's word. We need to come and hear it preached. And to join in communion with Christ and his people. Of all times to come, it's now. And if you're not a Christian and you're feeling led to come, come, come. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, oh, the best rest of all, the rest for your souls. Come and see Jesus. There can be no knowledge Of God, no salvation, no growth in the Christian life, no real joy until you do. Second, the angel not only said to come, but to see. Come and see the place where he lay. So here's the question. Here's a question for you. When you look into the tomb, what should you see? And you may be thinking, well, if it's empty, nothing. Yes, but what are the implications of this place? Years ago, Charles Spurgeon preached the message on this verse in which he suggested five things for us to see. And we'll quickly go over those. First, what we should see in Christ's grave is his condescension. Oh, how he stooped. And lowered himself to love us. To love us as he did. Even the reality of death. Even the reality of death. Jesus, yes, he, he is truly man. But he was no mere man. Death is, it's inevitable for us. We expect it. But let's remember why we expect it. When God created the world, when he made man in his image, man was not meant to die. But death entered into creation. It became the expectation of humanity because of what? Because of sin. The curse of sin is why we die. But Jesus wasn't a sinner. He wasn't born with a sin nature. He never sinned. Death was not a part of his nature. But he stooped. He condescended in giving himself 
to die for us. He took our sin upon himself. The curse that was ours was paid by Jesus. We need to see that that Jesus really died. That he really was in a tomb. This is the Son of God that we're talking about. Oh, what condescension. This is the one John describes as the Word. Saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word, our Creator, became a man. And not only that, He bore our shame and allowed for His own death. From Philippians chapter 2, consider once again the condescension of Jesus, how he stooped and lowered himself for you, that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, condescending by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he stooped, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see how undeserving we are of Jesus? That he would even take on flesh and dwell among us. Come and see that this empty tomb speaks of this infinitely humbling truth. That the God-man actually died and was placed in a tomb to save sinners, to, to save us. And the second thing that we should see when looking into the tomb is the horror of it all. Oh, how horrible is sin to put him in the grave. And again, it wasn't his sin, it was ours. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. So when we come and see, when we, when we look into the tomb, we begin to see the horror of our sin. We see the horror of our sin and that it's not something to grow accustomed to. It's not something we should secretly enjoy or, or treat ourselves to every once in a while. No, when we see our sin, it should nauseate us. Think of it all. All of the pain. Think of this. All of the pain and suffering that you have experienced in your life. The loss. It's a ripple effect of that first sin in the garden. The repercussions have been going on for thousands of years. And when we sin, we're contributing to the pain and destruction that it brings. The abuse you've received, it's because sin entered into this world. The loss you've experienced, the pain and sorrow that you know It's all because of the curse of sin. 
So why would we continue to throw rocks into the pond and add to the ripple effect of what ultimately makes us so miserable? We need to look into the tomb and see that sin is horrible. So horrible that the only person who never deserved the abuse, never deserved the pain and sorrow and shame, that he was laid in the tomb because of our sin. Third, we should look into the tomb and see that we too will die. Unless the Lord returns before then, we too will die. We live so much of our lives without a thought of this, feeling invincible, or so far removed from it in our sanitized culture. But the truth is, we need to come and see that death is unavoidable. You're looking into a place where you will be one day. The place where the people we know and love are separated from us. The tomb speaks of our mortality. And it warns us that there is something beyond this life. And sometimes it comes upon us suddenly. So in seeing that you too will die, the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet your maker? A fourth thing that we should see when we look into the tomb is the most important realization these women had that Easter morning. And it's that Jesus is not in it. He is risen, as he said. He has conquered death. And your one and only hope of life has to do with this. The most obvious thing they saw is that the tomb was empty. And people have different explanations for why it was empty. But what they all agree upon is the obvious fact that it was empty. We see an explanation in our text, verses 11 through 15. Explanation of the Roman soldiers and the motive of the Jewish leaders. And what we see is a lie, a bribe. The soldiers knew their failure meant their execution. And so instead of immediately going back to their superiors, they go to the Jewish leaders seeking their support in order to save their own lives. And the Jewish leaders, well, they don't want the truth to get out either. Something that would draw more and more people to Jesus. So they say, here... Take some money and tell the people that his disciples came while you were asleep and stole the body. And we'll back you. We'll, We'll defend you. You'll be okay. The truth is, the tomb is empty. And we're left with only one reasonable explanation. The story concocted by the guards and the Jewish leaders may work to avoid execution, but it makes no sense when you really think about it. How unlikely is it that a few disciples overcame Roman soldiers whose very lives depended upon guarding this tomb, following their orders? And this being the case... Again, how unlikely is it that all of them would be so casual as to fall asleep? 
how unlikely is it that none of them would wake up at the sound of a large boulder being rolled away from the opening of a cave? Wake up and alert the others? How unlikely is it that the the disciples would even steal Jesus' body and then be willing to die horrible, torturous deaths for what they knew was a lie? It makes no sense. And if Christ's enemies, if they stole the body, as others claim, as enemies who, what do they want to do? They want to stamp out this new religion. Persecuting, as we have been going through Acts, seeing the persecution going on. They want to stamp this out. Then, okay, if they stole the body, what better way to, to end it all than to produce the corpse of their leader? We need to look and see that the tomb is empty. And the only sufficient explanation is that Jesus was raised from the dead as he said he would be and as the Bible teaches. And the fifth reason we should look into the tomb is to learn we too will rise. Those who trust in Christ, you too will rise as Jesus did. Think of it. Would would Jesus truly be victorious? Would he be the savior that he claimed to be if he came into this world to teach, die, then rise again only to then lose all of those for whom he died? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He didn't say, I am spiritual life, and if you believe in me, then you'll be spiritually conscious. No, resurrection has to do with the physical body. Jesus overcame the death of his physical body, and he has the right and the power to raise us to physical life. Even though we die, he will raise us to new life. Yes, the the old body is dead and in the grave. Yes, it's true that for a believer to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, there's a a time of waiting, a spiritual life and consciousness beyond the grave. But the Christian's hope is in the resurrection. And the biblical teaching Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15 is that the dead will be raised bodily. And if this is true of Jesus, then it's true for us as well. Paul connects our reality with Christ's reality, saying in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 15, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. His resurrection is the first of more to come. His is the first fruits, meaning that we will be a further harvest, rising bodily as he did. This is God's promise to us. This is our, this is our certain hope. 
as a believer, when you look into the tomb and see that Jesus has risen, know that he is the first and that he has defeated death. And he did this so that you too will have life, a new resurrected body like his And a joy unlike anything you've ever experienced. Because this new life will be without sin and suffering. No more tears. No more death. The life of Jesus means that all who belong to him, though you die, yet you too shall be raised unto everlasting life. So we're we're to come and see. And a third command is that we are to go. We're told to go because there's work to be done. The early church was to go and make disciples, to be witnesses to the resurrected Christ. And so are we. The angel told the women to go and tell the others. And ultimately, we're reminded that it's Christ's command for us to go and take the gospel to all nations. To all nations, to all peoples. It's not some exclusive message meant to stay home. No, it's for all nations, all peoples. It's not a white religion. It's not only for men. No, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? I love that in our divided world. There's unity in Christ. So we go. We take the truth of Christ to everyone because everyone's in the same boat. We're all undeserving sinners in need of God's mercy. Everyone's problems are because of sin. Think of it. If you were to imagine, if you were to imagine the best possible future for yourself, wouldn't it be a future without pain, without sorrow, without death? And only Jesus is able to give us this hope because only Jesus has defeated the ultimate enemy of sin and death. All, as those who, who have seen the Savior coming to him and receiving the gift of his mercy and forgiveness, we, we go, we go and take this message to all people. The last command for us to consider is that in going, we have something wonderful to tell. Tell the good news to all people. Tell the news that transforms hearts and minds and brings life and hope to dying sinners. Tell it to your enemies because that will change their hearts. There's no greater message to tell. And when you think about it, telling comes very natural to us. Maybe you'll see it this afternoon if you happen to hide some plastic card filled with candy. Watch and listen. I bet when your kids find an egg, they'll tell you in some way that they found an egg. They'll hold it up. Or they'll say, I found one. And it's a silly example. 
But the point is, we all tend to tell others about the things that we enjoy, don't we? You see a, a moving, wonderful movie show? You can't help but tell people. If you splurge and get a Wagyu steak, and it's unlike anything that you've ever had before. Or if you're a vegan and there's some option that actually tastes good. You've got to tell people about it. Hey, this actually doesn't taste like cardboard. I'm sorry. What, we, what do we do? What, what do we tend to do? We can't, we can't help but recommend the things that we enjoy to others. And today in the age of social media, oh, we, we really tell people about the things that we like in lots of ways. And truly, how much better is Jesus if you know and love him? If you worship him and live your life in a way that's mindful of him, knowing that he is risen. And so whatever may come in your life, whatever suffering or sorrow, if it's all seen in light of this great truth, that deep within your heart you know that your hope is real and certain because of him, how can you not tell? And if this is true, oh. And if you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, I'm so glad you're here this morning or watching online. Jesus invites you to come to him. And this invitation is important because apart from Jesus, you're left in your sin. And death is something we all will face. God has made himself obvious to us as we look around at his creation. The design and glory that can only come from an artist, a maker. And he's your maker. And as your maker, when you die, you will stand before him and give an account for your life. As our maker, he has given us commands. He has even given you a conscience. So you know what is right and what is wrong. What is sin? What is rebellion against your maker? We're all in the same boat. We're all guilty. And a just judge must punish crimes. A just judge will not sweep them under the carpet. The penalty is death. And yet in his justice, in his incredible love... God made a way for you by sending his only son, Jesus. Jesus, who never sinned. And who lived in perfect obedience to God. Out of great love, Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. What it deserves. What you deserve. And if you recognize your guilt and confess it to him, if you see... If you believe that Jesus' death paid the price for you and that you can be forgiven in him and counted as righteous, reconciled to God because of him, then God will give you eternal life. Jesus said something incredible in John chapter 6. He said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So come Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, 
Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus cannot break a promise. And he is powerful and able to keep all of his promises. Christ is risen. And if you believe in him, he promises to raise you up as well and to give you eternal life. This is what we've come to see by God's grace. This is the message we're told to go and tell. And if you don't yet believe and you want some clarity on this, oh, I'd I'd love to talk with you some more, or I'm sure a Christian friend would love to tell you more about Jesus. So find a believer who can tell you more. This is our eternal hope. Christ is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you praise this morning. Celebrating the truth that you are the greatest hero of all. That you alone have defeated death. And so our hope, our desire for life and joy are only found in you. There's no need to look anywhere else because no one else has the answer. No one else has lived a perfect life and loved us to the point of choosing to die in our place. There's no work we're capable of that would earn or deserve such love. And so you're all the more a hero, all the more deserving of our praise because of of such grace given to us. Lord, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that glorifies, that communicates to those around us how amazing it is to know you and hope in you. Thank you for this grace that is ours because Christ is risen. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.